We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and our boasting about you to these men. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. Today we finish off chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Next week, Lord willing, you're going to hear a sermon from the Gospel of Mark from Ryan's lips. And the week after that, the 28th chapter of Matthew, 18 through 20, the Great Commission passage. But for today, we are here. Lord willing, on the 3rd of March, we'll pick up with chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. But let's pray. Father, thank you that we're gathered to worship you today in spirit and truth. Feed us, Jesus, we pray, in the fullness of his glory, for your honor and praise. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we used to get here at church unsolicited in the U.S. Post Office box here at church, a nicely presented magazine, and it was entitled, Israel, My Glory. And so a lot of times we get junk mail at church, and I just throw, throw it away. But every once in a while I'll look at stuff. So I looked at this magazine, Israel, My Glory, and that's from, by the way, Isaiah 4613b. And as I opened it up, it didn't take long for me to realize that the editors of the magazine, Israel, My Glory, had it all wrong altogether. They thought Israel, My Glory was in reference to modern-day nation of Israel, and the people of the Jews generally. And that is a very serious error. And so I don't read it, of course, but I don't think it comes here anymore. But Israel, my glory, is a biblical phrase. After all, it comes from Isaiah 46.13b. Israel, my glory, is as per verse 23b, our key verse out of today's lesson, the churches, the glory of Christ. That is Israel, my glory. You, the church members in the New Covenant, Jew and Gentile, are, as per the explicit words of Galatians 6.16, the Israel of God. You are the Israel of God. There are many other beautiful passages that say the same thing, like Philippians 3.3 and Romans 9.6-8, and other places in the scripture where you will discern that very clearly, often from Paul's pen. You are the true Israel of God. So in today's text, all the ministry to be done by the Apostle Paul, by the other ministers, by the missionaries, the congregations, all of it revolved around the king of the Israel of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Israel. And because it revolved around him, it also orbited around you, the church of Jesus Christ, because 
Jesus and his bride, his church, can never be separated, not in this world or in the world to come, nor in the eternal state after we are all in glory because of Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us make it our goal, this Resurrection Day, to always be God's church, the glory of Christ. This in mind, let's look together at 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, verses 16 to 24. The title of the sermon is, The Church is the Glory of Christ. The doctrine, God calls his churches the glory of Christ because the gospel is preached through us. You know, if the gospel wasn't preached through and by us, we would possess no glory at all because where there is no gospel, there is no Christ, there is no glory, there is no true church. The true church exists where Jesus is, where he's worshipped, where his gospel, a gospel of pure, unmerited grace in his blood atonement, is boldly and completely preached by his sovereign grace. These beings and entities always go together. Jesus, his church, the gospel, Sunday worship, the scriptures, and the means of grace, as per the Lord's Supper today. Let us now be more convinced than ever that God calls his churches the glory of Christ because the gospel is preached through us. First, all faithful members are messengers and exercise ministries. That's an important point to make, especially given the scripture pericope we're looking at today out of Second Corinthians chapter 8. Don't forget that though Paul references here himself, Titus, two other men, not named, formally ordained to the pastoral and gospel ministry of the church, the main players in this drama, the main ones, are the men, women, boys, and girls who sat in the Corinthian church on Sunday mornings who would be doing this part of the ministry of the gift to the saints, the church in Jerusalem, at the hands of Paul and Titus, a couple unnamed men, and others that would eventually take that gift to Judea, to the capital, the old capital city of Jerusalem. You are the main players. You are the ones that are being addressed here. You have ministries and you are messengers of the gospel. You carry that with you into your world. When we teach you that, that you're messengers and ministers, we really mean it. That's not just words. Yes, it is true. There is a formally ordained ministry, teaching elder, ruling elder, deacon. That's true. But it's also true that there is a formal covenantal ministry made up of all the members of the faithful church who are faithful in their covenant, in their baptismal vows, their covenant vows, the promises they made to God. And those people are also ministers, and that's who you are. You both possess and exercise that ministry. And your ministry have different forms. Some are leading, some are serving, some are giving, some are doing. All of you have something, and we all participate together in this glorious work of the ministry of the church. It's a beautiful Thing. Take this gospel and take the life of your church into your world. And as you do that, you will be bringing the kingdom of God 
near to your hearers, as per Mark chapter 12, verse 34. All faithful members are messengers and exercise ministries, and we are all united in Jesus. Now, today's text, which employs the language of the churches, plural, of God, reflects the correlative truth that there's only one church, singular, of God. In fact, we just saw that and professed it and declared it in the Nicene Creed. There's only one church, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There's not two churches, not even a church in heaven and a church on earth. It's all one church under one head. So we're talking about churches. This is a, an appeal or a reference to the different congregations spread around in that time in the Roman Empire and today, clearly all over the world. All true regenerated saints are one in and united to the one head of the one church, Jesus Christ, the one and only Lord and King. And all of this beautiful and wonderful truth defends you and protects you All of you who are known by and who love the Lord God through Jesus Christ, you are given a protection, a family. You're given a shield, a guard, a place, a covenant, an oasis in a dead, lost, rebellious, fallen world of sin and death. You're given that. You have it in Jesus. Many people out of fear and insecurity run off to fraudulent claimants of the one true church instead of staying faithful by grace through faith in Jesus to his exclusive community of the spiritual invisible church of all the elect, which church also manifests itself visibly in communions all across the globe. Let us never, dears, ever give up on the reality of the ideal which is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which we see exemplified in these three or more congregations alluded to in today's text. Let's do the exegesis of verses 16 to 24, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and study the ways the churches show that we are the glory of Christ. God not only declares you to be his glory, He also puts the evidence of you being his glory in you by the faithfulness, the perseverance he gives you to keep those vows, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit working in you. No matter where you are on the continuum of sanctification, even when you struggle and mightily struggle with sin, you're still in Jesus. Let us now investigate the ways the churches show that we are the glory of Christ. First, by involving the whole body of the redeemed, verses 16 to 19. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel, And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So in these verses, Paul mentions himself, Titus, 
an unnamed eminent minister, the churches generally, and the Lord in just these four verses. In other words, this is the consummate team effort. Everybody's involved. The apostles, the ministers, the churches, the Lord himself. The anonymous, quote, brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel, verse 18, may have been Barnabas, as Chrysostom and John Calvin and others conjecture, and I agree with them, although it is also true that we just don't know for sure. But Barnabas fits the context, the situation, and his very character. But the main thrust of these verses is the collective nature of them. Everybody is on board, not only individually, but as members of their particular congregations from whence they come. Those congregations also were very desirous of carrying out this act of mercy to the needy church in Jerusalem. This is Presbyterianism at its best. Remember, they were organized into Presbyteries back then, too. And these churches worked together. Everyone is engaged, everyone is blessed, everyone is united. May we always inculcate this priceless spirit and in so doing bring great honor and praise to our wonderful triune God in and through our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking here at the ways the churches show that we are the glory of Christ. We have been declared and called the glory of Christ by the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen here in verse 23 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. We see it involves the whole body of the, the redeemed and by being completely above reproach. Verses 20 through 22. This is a beautiful section. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So Paul continues the theme of the team here, this team that will be traveling to Corinth together in verse 22, through his referencing of, quote, our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. So another anonymous minister is mentioned, and again, with John Calvin. And how can you disagree with John Calvin? If you ever disagree with John Calvin, question yourself first. Uh, the more I read him, the more I appreciate him. He's just incredible. What a gift to the church. Wow, he only lived to be 55 years old, and he did so much. It was amazing. Anyway, enough about John. What did John say? He thought that this brother, whom we've often tested and found earnest in many matters, was an allusion to Luke. And probably was. Luke was in a, a traveling companion with, with uh, Paul, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And he was always faithful. But I think the heart of these three verses is this. In order to avoid any appearance of abnormality or favoritism or 
shadiness or any kind of sense that something was off in any way at all, Paul was very careful to mention the amalgam or grouping together of all these ministers or people from different churches who in one holy, perfect harmony will do the collection in Corinth very carefully, very above board, do it all for the glory and honor of God. And this is why Paul makes this remarkable statement in verse 21. And I quote it, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Everything we do, dear saints, as a church and as individual members of her, the body of Christ, is to be done with honor, honesty, integrity, above board, and with complete transparency, a holy transparency. We don't need to fear anything. We've already accused ourselves of being nothing but sinners. We have no goodness in ourselves at all. We don't have to impress anyone, ourselves included. God alone is our righteousness. We don't have to show ourselves to be better than anyone else. We already acknowledge that there is nothing good in us. Anything that we do properly or well or according to the word of God is all by God's grace. And this is because we're liberated children. We're not bound by law and works and judgment and condemnation and the opinions of culture and society and human beings and demons and the ways of the world, and the Gospels out there. We know there's nothing good in us, but there's a greater truth, and that is that by God's sovereign grace alone, we have been the objects of his electing mercy. He has applied the atonement to us. He has forgiven all our sins, and therefore we're not ashamed. We're not afraid. We have nothing to hide. We totally expose ourselves to God our Father in Jesus Christ with no shame, remorse, guilt, condemnation at all because Christ is born at all for us. And because of this, Paul and his ministerial companions set a good example for us. We can and should invite others into our lives, into the life of the ministry of the church, our hearts our common church life, so long as they share our love for God in and through Christ Jesus. So it's an open community. We invite others in, but no shadiness. And Paul makes that very clear here. The ways the church should show we are the glory of Christ by involving the whole body of the redeemed, by being completely above reproach, and finally, by adorning, A-D-O-R-N-I-N-G, the beautiful kingdom of God, verses 23 and 24. Adorning has to do with enhancing in a glorious way, if you will. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers, or literally apostles of the churches, the glory of Christ, 
So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So it's almost incidental that Paul uses that phrase, the church is the glory of Christ. But isn't that a profound truth? What is the glory of Christ? Well, it's his own bride, his church, procured by his blood. That's the glory of Christ. That's why we gather together to worship. The apostle here wraps up his itinerary by exhorting the Corinthian parish to live up to their potential in the Lord Jesus Christ. Both the ministers and the churches, plural, are mentioned again. And then Paul uses this amazingly lovely expression in verse 23b, the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Israel, my glory, purchased of God. As we remain in Jesus and press forward in our upward call of God in him, Philippians 3.14, the result is the exhibition before the watching world of a resplendent, beautiful church bride that is irresistible to the elect of God on the earth, and he will bring them to her. And even those who will never believe, repent, or be saved, they also have an awe and respect of the spectacle themselves. It's something that the world could never reproduce. But despite all of that, notice from these last two verses that the faithful church does what it does for the glory of God, irrespective of the opinions, thoughts, or desires of any human beings or angels. All that matters is God what he wants, what he commands, what he desires, because when we are there with him, we benefit. He gets the glory. That's why our church worship, for instance, Reformed worship is so important. We talked about that in Christian Ed this morning. The life of faith and freedom, dear saints, Redeemer saints, the life of faith and freedom a free life, a glorious life. This is the life in Christ, and this is what the Puritans would call heaven on earth. It's the highest state of being possible for sinners, sinner saints in a fallen world, and it is a high and glorious calling. Take full advantage of it. Never waste a Sunday. Never waste a moment. Constantly press on in your love for God. Be on the offensive. Let's do some application this morning and comprehend how the churches, the glory of Christ, honor God. So, in simple terms and from our lesson for today, what are the basics found in the God-glorifying, Christ-exalting churches? Well, first of all, everything must be rooted in faith in Christ or it's of no value or worth whatsoever. With that in mind, let's freshly rediscover how the church is the glory of Christ honor God. First, through our mutual love for the Redeemer and his saints. And of course, as I mentioned before, these two can never be parted. Anybody that loves God in Christ, who is the only way God can be loved, also loves his God's people too. Our mutual love for Christ then puts us on a mutual course of life. We aim at the same ends, the same goals, the same place, the same desires to honor and glorify God through our different ministries and our different gifts. 
And we bring it all to God as a fragrant aroma of praise. What are some of those objectives, that mutual aim that we all have? May I suggest that our own church's mission and vision statements do a pretty good job of summarizing them, and I quote, to glorify God through Christ-centered Sunday worship, where the gospel is preached and sacraments are observed in the distinctly reformed, covenantal, and confessional way, calling all people to faith and repentance, to be a praying church family where believers grow in and are held accountable to their faith, resulting in fellowship, service, and outreach. But none of that would mean anything if we didn't love God and Christ Jesus and therefore each other too. But we do, by God's grace. That is why love is the principal goal of faith. God would have us believe in Christ, receive all the joyous benefits of having all our sins forgiven, having all our guilt removed, having all our shame banished from us, so that we would love him genuinely, sincerely, from the heart. And as we do this, we not only keep God's greatest commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 38 but we also fulfill his greatest desire for us, the highest and greatest fulfillment of life in the person of life, Jesus Christ, as his church. This all naturally leads to our last point today. How the church is the glory of Christ, honor God, through our mutual love for the Redeemer and his saints, and through the faithful discharge of our gospel ministries. Now, this is gracious, filial, happy, and willing obedience, which is always the fruit of real love based in saving faith. Our gospel ministries as God's church flow out from our abiding in Christ by faith. For apart from him we can do nothing, John 15, 5. Therefore, dear ones, stay close to your blessed Redeemer, his covenant family. Trust him for all your living and vibrant justification before the Holy God. Relish Christ's atonement of your souls, the forgiveness of your sins. Through his blood's satisfaction, and through his glorious resurrection's vindication, not only of himself, but of us, our justification, all in Jesus. Do it all by faith. It will lead to love, which will lead to happy, glorious ministries in the beautiful bride of Christ. Beloved, the churches, the glory of Christ, are the apple of God's eye. Let us be thankful that by grace alone, God's singular favored mercies upon us, we are members of the church of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that. We could never deserve it, earn it, merit it, but you did it for us. If it wasn't for you, we would not be here today. We would be in rebellion, fleeing you, hating you, doing whatever we wanted to do. But now we're doing exactly what we want to do because you've made us new creatures and given us new wills. 
We're glad to be your children, your church, the body of Christ. Thank you that you call us the glory of Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.